Today we have a packed show. Today we are discussing the three C's. Comic books, collecting, and my favorite creators. We are going to talk about direct to consumer. What, what, what's taking over the comic book field. What may have staved off the, the crash of the 90s. Direct to consumer. We talk about comic book creators. Cameos. Are they going to be in that TV show? Is a comic book creator going to going to appear in that movie? Let me tell you what I like the best is comic book creators cameoing in comic books. And, and I know there have been many, but today we have the absolute gold standard of comic book creators cameoing in comic books. It blew me away as a kid. It blew me away upon revisiting as an adult. I'm going to share it with you today. And I break down my trip to CGC all on a brand new edition of Observations. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Rob Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld. If for some reason this is your very first episode, your very first edition, what what, what the heck is a Rob Observation anyway? You, you're like, what is a Rob Observation? So, so this show was started in the pandemic three years ago. Uh, we, we were all much lonelier and, and, and not as communicative with each other. Uh, we were bored. We had run out of things to talk to. I know. I know with me and my my friend group that, that that's what happened. Uh, the the, the uh, other than our fear of the pandemic, there wasn't a whole lot to talk to. And I wanted to talk comics and and was fascinated with podcasts. Started this this show, Rob Observations, when my youngest son said, "Dad, I can I can hook you all up. I can buy you." This mic, I can go to Best Buy. I can, I can order it. They'll come to, out to the curb. They'll give it to me. I, I, he's very technically savvy, much more so than anyone in our family. And he was able to hook me up, and I got to start uh, talking about comic books into this microphone on a whim. Just wanted to share my passion for comics, which ha- has been burning inside of me my entire life. Seven years old. If you have listened to this show, you've heard me say that I have pulled. Uh, comics off the spinner rack since I was seven years old, probably earlier, but hardcore addiction begins seven years old. Comic books, superhero comic books, Marvel comic books, DC comic books. We, 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 we've, uh, we've covered all the other like comic book companies that, that, that sprouted up during that time. The Atlas comics, I had an entire podcast on Atlas comics, two-parter, uh, a, a rival, uh, a potential rival. And they did briefly. For Marvel and DC Comics, but comic books is my love. It is my passion, and and it became my vocation. I this is what I do for a living. I write. I draw comic books. If you have uh, enjoyed comic books that feature Deadpool in them, that that, that feature the character uh, of Cable or Domino or X Force, so, so many of the different uh, mutant characters. I had a run in my early twenties and was able to populate the mutant universe with uh, with all new different characters. And in an effort to to help my, my book sell better, so so uh, if you've read an Image comic, I I was the launch book of Image Comics. Youngblood number one was the very first Image comic published April of 1992. I have been doing this for many 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 years, 38 years total. Uh, I I have drawn and and created comic books for just about everybody, and I still have an incredible fire burning in me to this day. What we talk about on Rob Observations is the journey of a comic book fan, me, who has watched Marvel and DC Comics grow 
and their influence in all comic book characters. I mean, let's talk about, you know, The Walking Dead, a giant comic book for image comics is 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 going into it what feels like it's it's 25th season and and i'm talking about when you compile all of those series walking dead uh uh fear of the walking dead the one with the little kids walking around in the or, or the or the young kids walking around in the walking dead now you got all your spinoffs the walking dead has its roots what has its origin as a comic book the comic books are now in many ways the the the, the adapted novels of my youth when they would grab a Stephen King or a John Grisham and they would, they would, uh, they, they would make a film series and, and expand on those books. That is what comic books have become. And I want to share with you, and I have from the beginning, how comic books has become this giant platform that, that all of pop culture seems to be consumed with in the same way that I was consumed with it. When I was seven, possibly even more so. It's hard to compete with with young Robbie Liefeld's fever for comics, but 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 I think today's uh, t- t- today's audience, my kids, my own kids, they grew up in the boom of 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 the Marvel comics, the cinematic universe. That they, my my oldest was eight years old. My my youngest son was six. My daughter, Olivia, at four years old, didn't think she really enjoyed Iron Man on, on opening night, Thursday preview night, so, so I didn't take her. But my two boys were like, you know, mouth on the floor at, at Downey Jr.'s portrayal of, of Tony Stark and that incredible Iron Man costume, which never looked that good on paper. And it has looked great on paper. Let me tell you something. There are amazing comic books of Iron Man, but boy, on screen, that Apple tech, woo, awesome, amazing. And, 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 and then I read sometimes about, about, uh, about superhero fatigue as I read all the new superhero and comic book, uh, comic book adaptations that are coming to either our small screen, our streaming, you know, platforms or our bigger, uh, you know, IMAX, the, 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 the cinemas, which, which I'm always rooting for. And I'm so glad that, that, uh, that, that, that it looks, it looks as if, you know, our, our, our recent summer at the movies, uh, balanced out, did very well. A lot of movies, a lot of comic book movies, a lot, lot, lot of superhero movies, and it's it's weird. But as it as as so often is the case, uh, the ones that come out earlier generally tend to do the best in, in in terms of launching the summer and then and then and then continuing. So we'll we'll see. I think we have a couple more coming up the rest of the year. But on Rob's observations, we don't just talk about the comic books and the characters. We talk about the people that made the comics that made the comic books special, and and and. Uh, the, the reason these characters exist, there's not an easy button. There's not, no matter how much certain factions at both of the major uh, comic book companies, e- even, even the publishing entities, as much as those factions want you to believe that there are buttons, and it's mainly the lawyers. It's, mainly, <laughs> it's always the legal. Legal wants to just, you know, and, and, and the more corporate minded, they want to make it that just a button in a room creates a character from dc from marvel and and the focus is is not put anywhere near as much as it should be on the creator and one of the things we're going to dive into today because we talk about well, why aren't these creators given cameos why aren't these creators given cameos why don't we see them more often well that's a great that is a great topic and it's one that is that that uh i probably steer away from because i don't want to get uh really angry over this microphone and maybe i've pushed off pushed that off for for just a little while more because i do believe 
comic book creators are not given anywhere near the spotlight that they deserve. On this show, on Rob Observations, you have heard me uh, talk about so many of the incredible comic book creators, especially those who inspired me. Uh, let's start with Jack Kirby. Let's go to Frank Miller. You've heard me introduce you maybe to the works of somebody like a Howard Chaikin, who you've seen at a com- comic convention. You've walked by him, and maybe you're familiar with some of his Marvel or his DC work, but you weren't aware of the work American Flag, that, that American Flag, a seminal uh, comic book, sci-fi, adventure, dystopian comic book that he made in the 80s that absolutely directly influenced everything that followed. Dark Knight, the, you know, the big giant Batman epic adventure uh, that, that transformed all of the fortunes of Batman by Frank Miller, Watchmen, Alan Moore, uh, it, Howard Chaikin. We, we, we've talked about names like Jim Steranko. We, we have talked about uh, John Byrne at length. Huge imprint on the culture of comic books. And, and so, so uh, I have tried repeatedly to tell you guys and, and, and walk you through my viewpoint as well as how the industry expanded and changed. And, and, and today we're going to talk about two very distinct uh, very, very. We're going to cover a couple of the the, the topics I just kind of glossed over, which is creator, uh, c- creator cameos. But we're going to focus on creator cameos in comic books, and and for me, the greatest creator ca- cameos, the greatest creator cameos ever shown in one single comic book. I'm going to share it with you. It is a passion. It it it, it rocked me, like literally energized me. It it, it electrified me when I was, you know. Eight years old, and I'm going to share that comment with you today. We're going to talk about how the selling of comics has changed, how the selling of comics has gone way beyond uh, what, what, just the brick and mortar store. Because I've been I've been wanting to to scratch the surface a little more on direct to consumer, and we're going to talk about that today. But first, I'm going to uh, start with I'm, I'm, two things. I'm going to start with. One, I'm going to remind you, I have a comic book coming out right now. It's been coming out since June. It's Deadpool Batterblood. It is the sequel to Deadpool Bad Blood. Deadpool Bad Blood came came out 2017, 100-page Marvel original graphic novel. It's a hardcover. I I love the format so much. I love just having one single story uh, in in, in uninterrupted, no ads, 100 pages. That is how Deadpool Bad Blood was, was introduced to you. It came out in May of 2017, and it charted number one. I am so excited. It is the only time, the only time, and there there are guys, they're still trying to flip through and find it didn't happen. I did that research. The only time Deadpool charted number one, $25 Deadpool graphic novel, May 2017. Well, Marvel then, a few years later, wanted to cut it up into individual issues, and we added pages to it, and that came out last year. Deadpool, Bad Blood, individual uh, comics released monthly. So we took the Bad Blood graphic novel, we cut it up, we put it out, we added two new pages per issue, at least all new covers, put that out. There were people who discovered it for the first time, people who were discovering it because it was four years later. The promise was that Deadpool, Bad Blood was on the way. That arrived in June. It is the sequel. It continues the story of a uh, young mate of, of Wade Wilson who followed him into the Weapon X program, and wanted to be just like him, kind of his own little personal uh, uh, admirer slash uh, worst case stalker mentality. But Thumper uh, has 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 grown up to taunt and and threaten and 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 be very consequential in in Deadpool's life. 
And ha- after having met him in Deadpool Bad Blood, we now expand. Deadpool Batter Blood number four is in stores September 20th. The first, the second, the third issues should be available at your retailer. If not, they can order them and get uh, get them get get copies for you. Uh, presumably, Deadpool Bad Blood number one sold out. The second print is still available. Uh, two and three are very hard to get. Um, the sell through was severe. It was the first day. They are hard to obtain. Again, there is a component that uh, you can also uh, order them online if if you're if you want to get them faster. Uh, it, depending on, on your, your retailer's inventory or willingness to work with you. And there's electronic versions of that comic as well. So, but, but I would prefer that you get the physical copies, the ones that you hold, because uh, that's the way I enjoy and I've always enjoyed my comic books. Deadpool Batter Blood, number four of five. The fifth issue comes out in October. It wraps it all up. These are all off to the press. They have gone. We have hit the launch button. We are so excited to bring Deadpool Batter Blood to a conclusion, which we will in October. But the fourth issue, is in my opinion, I, I thought the third was the best. I kid you not. The fourth issue, I think, is the strongest work I've ever done. And I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm going to tell you something right now. Two X-Men comics. Uh, they're in the t- 120s. Uh, that I, I don't have them in front of me. I didn't plan on kind of bringing them up. This is all just, just you know, I'm spitballing the show as I go. There was a two-parter with Murder World and uh and an arcade a guy named arcade and in murder world and a, and, a, and a couple of years earlier he had been introduced in marvel team up uh the pages of marvel team up with spider-man and a character named captain britain and i just love this guy who created these murderous uh uh theme parks meant to you know uh, uh kill the hero but put them through their paces yes roller coasters yes giant theme park rides and at the time you're like man this arcade guy is super well financed because even as a kid i'm like there's a murder version of like six flags or like a murder version of disneyland that is that is meant to kill my heroes sometimes they're put in giant pinball machines this is my love letter issues three and four were my love letter to those two comics which were fantastic uh just 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 they were fantastic uh escapes from the main kind of daunting storyline that had exist they were they were a segue to just this this isolated two-parter but it was tremendous fun and room after room they found themselves that the, the the characters were split up the different characters of the x-men were split up in in, in into different rooms different adventures uh different basically high profile you know m- murderous uh contraptions that were meant to to you know kill them uh, arcade is an assassin and his uh, his method is these theme parks. Well, I decided I wanted to do something like this in this criminal, the, the criminal enter- enterprise that Deadpool finds himself and introduce new characters because I'm trying to build out Deadpool's uh, uh, rogues gallery. And bottom line, we are introduced to arcades, a relative of arcade named Arcada and Killville, which is the VR tech uh, answer to our you know, arcades murder world and, and Arcata even said, like, is he trying to bankrupt the family with, with these billion dollar theme parks? Then he keeps failing. So her her answer is the VR tech that so much of us are getting uh you know inundated with nowadays. And 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 so Killville, Arcata, we 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 really lean into this uh this murder world type 
environment in issues three and four. And that's the fun. I just leaned into fun. I wanted you to have fun. My comics are meant to be fun. I hope that you seek them out and you get them September 20th is when Deadpool Batter Blood number four hits. Okay. I got, I got that out of the way. I'm excited. I want you to have it. I want you to partake in this comic. I think you will be, um, I think you'll be very entertained. And for me, that's what comic books are all about. Secondly, I wanted to tell you, I have returned from the, the compound. It is a compound. It is like a gigantic, enormous setup, multiple buildings, CGC in Florida, the headquarters where you send your books for me to sign and me and so many others, so many other creators. Uh, I signed umpteen thousands of your comic books that you submitted. And let me tell you something. So many of you wrote me these amazing, lovely, wonderful notes on the tape of the comics. Now, let me tell you something. The, uh, the staff of CGC is fantastic. I'm going to forget names. Uh, but thank you to Brittany for setting it out. Brittany approached me WonderCon of 2022 here in, in Anaheim. And she said, would you be interested in doing one of our in-house uh, signings? And I said, you know what? I want to um, hang, hang off another year. I want to see how things develop with, with Deadpool 3. And maybe we, we schedule something around then when it's, mean, it's, it's more meaningful. And she said, great. Over the year, we stayed in contact. Brittany helped assemble this and put this entire signing together. Uh, I, I arrived. I mean, it, it is, uh, especially depending on where you're traveling, it is a week's endeavor to travel the to the to and from, the, the stay, the nonstop, the, 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 the long hours. It's an entire uh, day. Each day you are there signing, given how many thousands of comic books that, that have been submitted. I just had the very best time. Josh. Summer, Matt, Louie, uh, all of you. So I'm, 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 I'm forgetting some of your names. You were lovely. You were so kind. Uh, you were so energetic. We had so many good times, so many good laughs. Uh, there was a period where I was like, man, I'm, I'm, am I going to make this? I cleared the final signing deadline with, uh, with about six minutes to go. As so many of you know uh, from my live stream, which I'll hit on a minute ago, uh, a minute from now, I am joined on my live streams when I do them by a man named Dave Hong. He calls himself Key Collectibles Online. He is a CGC witness. And one of the advantages was in San Diego when I asked them to give me some of the uh, the sketch covers and the remarks. They were handed to me in advance so that uh, I could draw them in front of a CGC witness here on the West Coast. And that's how we did it and how we were able to pull off getting all these thousands of comic books signed in addition to the remarks, the special, um, uh, uh, the, the special comics. That were included so so we pulled it off everybody pitched in thank you so much one, one of you wrote a, a really fun note about give, giving dave uh time off and 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 going to cgc and i video it and then i look up and there's dave because yes dave was alongside me um my, at my, my linus blanket that i clung to as 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 uh you know when i couldn't decide should i should i design in this uh deep turquoise this uh this lava red or this lavender uh, you guys asked me to do Laker colors, purple and gold. You asked me to do, uh, you know, red. You asked me to do white. Sometimes I, I took, I took, honestly, having done this so many times, sometimes the colors that you want do not pop good on a book that I know that I have signed hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of times. So I would, I would go, you know what, this is going to pop more because what, what matters I know is your, is your, is, is the signature and in, in the forms, you know, you can make whatever suggestions that you would like, but the person signing, whether it is me whether it is some other combo creator, we are, uh, we're going to, we're going to grab that marker and, and, and sign it in the best 
uh, the, the, the way that we think best represents the comic. Bottom line, the CGC culture, the CGC uh, of everything has created this enormous business. The, 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 the grading, the encapsulization, which, which, which seals the, the comic inside the plastic. I, I didn't have time. I really wanted, they said, you can encapsulate your own comics. I would have loved to encapsulate my own comics. We were just so, uh, just working the entire time. There was all different, uh, you know, all different platforms. There was the chisel. There was the, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the trading cards. You, there was the Liefeld labels. We got them all done. They should be coming to you uh, sometime very soon. I can't wait for you guys to share them. A- amazing watching my watching one's career fly by. One uh, person put every single Battlestar Galactica comic when I had the Battlestar Galactica license in the in the nineties, and I did a bunch of covers and I wrote several of the, the the first stories because I was such a fan of Battlestar Galactica. That's the only reason I got the the, the license. I wanted to finish. Uh, the adventures that they didn't, in my opinion, wrap up on the original run, the 1978-1979 run of Battlestar Galactica. I wanted to finish that up myself, so I highly recommend them. We even did a trade paperback of it back then, but every single Battlestar Galactica comic that I published through my label, Max, Maximum Press, it was such a joy to get this stack and to sign through them. Uh, you, you, you know, from, from my very first comic books, the, the stuff that I drew that was published in 1986-1987, uh, Dark Horse, the Boris the Bear issue, the Megaton comics, the first appearances of Youngblood, the first appearances of Cable, Deadpool, Domino, X-Force, New Mutants, uh, so many issues of Profit, you, you all, Captain America, the Avengers. I, I signed literally everything and, 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 and I wasn't prepared for how exciting it was to watch your career you know, pass in front of you. But the staff, uh, the facilities, these are giant buildings, CGC uh, grades, coins, stamps. They have sh- a shipping facility that, that is enormous in order, to, in order to get your stuff there. That This is a class act operation. I could not have been in better hands. We treated your books with the utmost care. There's someone who pushes the book to you. There's someone who pulls it away while you sign. The push, the pull, the push, the pull. It is, uh, it is, it is incredible. Then, then it goes to the people who they're, they're, you know, uh, uh coordinating with your paperwork, uh, waiting for the stuff to dry, then filing it away. It is nothing short of incredible, the operation they have down there. And I just want to say thank you to you, the fans, for urging me to do this. Thank you to CGC for reaching out and facilitating it. And again, to Brittany, to Josh, to Matt, to Summer, to Louie. Oh man, who else am I forgetting? I'm going to feel terrible. But those are the, those are the, those are the names that I remember in the whirlwind of the week that was the CGC personal in-house signing. I, I figured since I pushed it so much here on the show, I should absolutely mention that it's done. We did it. It, it got done. They are they are in route uh, en route to the 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 grading and and the actual encapsulization, which will create what they call, because it's easy to say it, the slabs. The slabs. And we are a culture who loves the slabs. Even somebody who who like myself was very uh, apprehensive about really biting in, in, biting that apple, getting really into into slabs. I have now become someone who is quite uh, impressed with with that, that that treatment of the comic books. There are some people some people who, who who don't enjoy it. Great, don't don't participate. But but let the people who do. And there are so so many. And I would maintain that they are part of what is creating more success in our business right now. It's just collecting and buying multiple copies of comics has always been part 
of 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 what we do as, as as comic book consumers. I've told you many times I consume comics. I don't like to say collecting as much because it has kind of that that um that that basically flipper mentality assigned to it. But I've told you so many times on the on the show that when I was in the absolute uh, throes of some of the best creative runs in comics, whether it was Frank Miller's Daredevil, John Byrne's X-Men run, uh, Dave Cockrum's X-Men run, Walt Simonson's Thor, George Perez on the Titans, whenever those books were coming out, I would buy two copies, whether it was the newsstand or at the direct market comic book store that I would, you know, frequent. And, you know, the other day there is a, uh, on, on Twitter or now as we call it X, there's an account, it's called uh, Rack Spinner and it's titled The Spinner Rack. The Spinner Rack, it's at Rack Spinner. They, they, they post what is out each and every day of, of like basically, you know, whatever whatever given day, they will show you kind of what came out. Sometimes they go as, as far as the 90s. They don't really do modern uh, modern titles. It mostly is is Bronze Age stuff, clearly reflecting the age of the people that do the, the account, but they, they put up a day and I remember very specifically, I bought all those comic books in Fountain Valley, a good hour bike ride from my house closer to Fountain Valley and the location of this store. I've mentioned it a couple of times called the Land of Ooze and Awe, the Land of Ooze and Oz. Um, just so much fun. And Oz is A-A-H apostrophe S, Ooze and Oz, uh, not, not O-Z. And, and one of the things that, that put his store on the map was reading that he that the owner of the store was having so many comic book celebrities there. He had George Perez multiple times. He had the guys from the Secret Wars, Jim Shooter, uh, Mike Zek. Uh, he had all, all manner of, of different artists, uh, Art Adams. He had he, he had so many of, of the favorites of that era. And and when I first bit bit that you know bit that trip off on my on my bike, you know I am in 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 in, uh, in 1981. I'm 14 years old, so I, I am not driving yet. But I had had my parents drive me there during the summer once. So now I knew exactly where the location was. And it was straight down. It was literally straight down Brookhurst, uh, this, this, which, which takes you right to the sand. If you just keep going on Brookhurst, you're going to straight to the sand, straight to the ocean. You're going to go straight into the ocean. You know, you're going to go boom over, over that sidewalk into the sand, into the Pacific Ocean. Fountain Valley uh, is literally and this is just blocks from from the sand. So I drove from my house, which is basically if you've ever been to Orange County and, and gone to a Disneyland, I'm I'm probably 10 minutes behind, 10, 10, 10, 15 minutes behind Disneyland. So then straight shot for me on my bike. Um, I would buy the comics, I'd wrap them in the in in in, in, in multiple bags and then put them in my special, you know, uh apparatus that held them down down on the lower bar. I didn't have a basket. That 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 would not be good with the wind uh when, when I when I was when I was going to get these comics, but I, each and every one of them, there was an X Men in that week's. Uh, there was a there was a Rom, there was a Hulk, there was an Avengers, and I remember specifically how I bought three copies of the X Men: one to read, and basically two to uh, to have extra copies to 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 have in really nice condition in case I messed up. I was never thinking of flipping. I never considered that I would sell them. But I just wanted to buy multiple copies. So we are a culture that buys, and whether it's whether it's that Fountain Valley trip, that's what I use. That's what I use my money on. I would, I would, if my parents gave me lunch money, I'd skimp on it. I'd save it. I'd mow more lawns. I've told you guys, I would just do more chores so that I could have as much money as possible to buy comic books. And 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 whether it's Days of Future Past, the Burn Run is where I really started 
this practice at the, at the newsstand, trying to get the very best copies, the very nicest condition, because that's what you want. You want them preserved in the nicest. You don't want to wrinkle. You don't want to cut. You don't want to tear. You don't want to crease. We just, we just are built like that. And, and, and so, so, uh, You'll be happy to know that a couple of the books that I put through that they said, Rob, because you're our guest and we do this for our guests, we can fast track on site within 48 hours. You will be la- you will laugh at some of the books that I was brazen enough to believe would get higher grades that did not. I'm not ready to <laughs> I'm not ready to share the humiliation uh, that I received uh, uh, from the graders who who should have put. Are you kidding me on 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 my submissions? Are you kidding me? But uh, anyway, we always want the nicest copies. Ever. And I think the encapsulization is, is pretty funny. I'm going to, uh, pretty cool. I'm going to give you a funny story. One of my family members, upon seeing uh, the, the encapsulated slabbed comic book, said, Man, if I collected comics, I would have every comic book in my possession slabbed. And I, as I was eating dinner alongside my family, I said, Really? to this family member. So, so have you thought about how you would afford, uh, if you're me, the, 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 50,000 comics in my collection? How would, how would I pull that off? Not just, look, first of all, financially, what a hurdle. Then the storage, uh, you know, the storage of these slabs. So so my, my family, it, it was a fun way to kind of uh, put everything in perspective. When my family member blurted out, I would encapsulate them all. Okay, good luck with that. I wish you well. And and uh, look, we, we do what we can with what we can and we pick our favorites and it was so much fun. Uh, signing many of your favorites at CGC. So let's get to the way the comic book market has changed comic books and really collectibles, but direct to consumer and so much of just like, just like CGC exploded in the pandemic, just like this show was started in the pandemic. Direct to consumer really blew up during the pandemic. The idea that it's, it's, we have infinite possibilities with, with which to move the comic books and the collectibles that we love and get them into your hands. As a creator, I have really dialed back my personal appearances. In, when I go to New York City uh, for New York Comic Con in, in, in the next few weeks, it'll be the first time that I have been outside of California for a comic convention since the last New York Comic Con. And I get a ton of requests and I always discuss each and every one, each and every opportunity with my wife, my family, and you know, just thinking about dates and going away. And to, to quote the beautiful Joy Liefeld, who said, I'm just so happy that you have decided to not travel as much and get more work done. You would never be able to get all the work that you're doing. Because again, I'm a storyteller. Somebody the other day on, because on, we, you know, as comic book creators, and I've, I've, I've gone to many comic book creators' accounts, uh, pages, everybody gets some sort of insult from everybody. Somebody wants to put you in your place, put you down. And uh, I was, I was, I was on this, you know, uh, you know, on social media and, and I was looking through the, 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 the different comments and somebody uh, told me, Hey, you wish you were this guy. And I said, look, let me tell you something. First, this guy is almost 10 years older than me. I don't want to be 10 years older. Secondly, this guy no longer draws comics. I'm a storyteller. I am a storyteller. I tell stories. That's what I want to do. That is my obsession. Each and every comic book that comes out, I am so nervous. I, I, I wish, I, I, I am hoping that it printed as, 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 as well as it possibly can, that the colors, that the inks, everything is reflective of how the files, you know, leave our possession when we hit send on the computer or when Marvel loads it up to the server at the printer. Um, 
it, it's so nerve wracking because I want that story to look the way I had it in my mind. I want you to experience it in the best way possible. I'm a storyteller. I draw comics. I make comics. I write and draw pages of comics and, and multiple panels on every page. That's what I do. That is what I love. And I want to get it to you in the best form that I possibly can. That is my obsession is making comics. And when I saw that, I, 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 again, I had to tell this person, that's not the life I want to lead. This person, and if you knew me, you would know that the life that I want to lead is the life that I'm leading. What does this have to do with direct-to-consumer? Well, so many of the multiple versions of my own comic books, I am able, as are many retailers, to boot up through uh, the internets. I love saying the, 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 the plural internet, so it's not a you know m- 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 mispronunciation. I'm just playing with you. I love booting up the internets and looking right at you. It used to be I just talked to you. Now, so many of us can just look right through you. And, and in the pandemic, it was through Facebook live groups. And so many, come on, so many people, you may not want to admit it. You're on Facebook. I see you. I see, I see so many of you. Um, we have a Facebook group. I'm going to talk about it later at the end of the show. Instagram. Instagram and Facebook groups became a giant portal with which we were sharing, selling our comic books as a community during the pandemic, when we were locked down, when retailers could no longer uh, open up their stores due to all the restrictions, due to all the uh, lockdowns, stores, they, they, they found their signal. They found their portal. They went to Facebook. They went to Instagram Live. I was uh, inspired by the Instagram Lives that I saw uh, being done by, by, by some of my buddies, some of my lo- local stores, my local retailers. So I engaged in the same. And it was much more complex before the the uh, the whatnot app and 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 I, again I'll talk to you about when I live stream on my whatnot I'll, I'll just talk about it right now I, I have an account Rob Life on whatnot that makes it even easier that that the tech and the uh, the design of this app is is really impressive in the way that it processes and allows us to interact but prior to that I was doing the Instagram lives I'd have my books lot A lot B lot C my kids would be walking through the kitchen and they would you know they're teenagers during this time and they'd be pouring themselves their their lemonade or their 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 power drink and they'd be like they'd be mumbling under their breath lot a lot b lot c or at, at dinner they'd be like hey dad how's how's things going with lot 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 b and c and d and x and z that they, they would just bust my balls but you know we would so many of you that i that i part you know or were partaking in this practice with you would be uh shouting out and we would ask let us know you know which lot that you want and then and then give us your order. And Key Collectibles, Dave Hong was sitting there writing down your comments as it went. And then we would save the feed and then go back through and double check and then contact you. And then you would confirm the order. Then we would send the books to you. Why am I talking about direct-to-consumer? Because a very prominent, very com- prominent uh, executive in a giant comic book company said to me that the crash of the 90s when so many comic books were piling up on the shelves, the crash of the 90s would be averted today and you don't hear about as many stores going out to bit out of business because of the direct-to-consumer model that exists between Facebook Lives, Instagram Lives, and whatnot. Your store, after hours, keeps selling. Just because they lock the door and they you know turn the lights off at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., whenever, their online component is always going, and it's not just, hey, let's order some comics from Midtown. Let's go and, and, and peruse what's in their store and order it. No, it is a, um, also, also many of them have their live stream components 
where people from the store or creators such as myself on our own you know, accounts are sharing with you uh, different variants that we have. And we've all gotten into this. And you may ask, Rob, why do you do variant covers? Because I want to have another cover on this comic because when I did this comic, I had three covers in mind that I could go with. Well, now, thanks to these opportunities, I don't have to choose between cover A, B, and C. I can be uh, contracted to give covers A and B to the publisher, in this case, Marvel, on Deadpool Battleblade, and then do a variant of my own. As I have done on so many different Deadpool projects, and then that book is the book that, that is exclusive to an experience that you have with me. But beyond that, Let's say retailer A and B, again, back to our lots. Uh, let's see these different re- retailers. Let's say they ordered too much of like the Return of Superman, like so many retailers did, which put a-, a lot of them under the crunch. They just, they really needed for Return of Superman to do as well as Death of Superman did in the way that all of those reps told you, retailers, oh, remember Death of Superman, this is going to do just as good. Okay, for sure, returns do not do as well as deaths. We love. The killing of the character. We're not so much excited when they come back. And that's just a proven fact. And we all found out the hard way. But And I remember going into the different retailers in my area when that came back. And the return of Superman was piled up. It's it is a, it's, it's impressive. i got to be honest. It's, it's impressive how that has been scrubbed from history. Another publisher and I were talking. There used to be all manner of articles on return of Superman. And the, the, the way it wiped out entire retail accounts who were on the edge to begin with and were looking for that to be the big surge to, to kind of get them back in black and then nobody cared. The, 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 the return of Superman uh, was, not, was not treated in the same way. If pressed, I will go. I will get the article where the DC rep at the time says, it wasn't our fault. The expectations were put upon us that this would be like this. No, pretty sure you were on the phone telling people that. So in direct consumer, you could have taken those and put them online flipped on your iPad, your iPhone, whatever uh, computer that you, uh, you know, beam your signal out to the masses. And you could have said, hey, we have a set here. We're discounting it. We are giving a special pricing right now on this. And you're selling to Brazil and to Spain and to Greece and to Italy. And because look, we do international shipping. It's the thing that we're asked about all the time. On my whatnot streams, we have a regular customer in Hong Kong. We have regular customers in, in, in England, in Canada, all across the board. We are all too happy to, uh, to, to move our product all, acro- all across the world. And when I order a specific pro- product for myself, I give it a, a, a timeline with which to, you know, the, the, that we'll have to, to, to reach everybody because you can't do it all in one day. But the direct-to-consumer model, the ability to say, hey, these extra copies of Green Arrow or these extra copies of Daredevil that I have, these extra copies... I can bundle them. I can sell them individually. I can maybe go to a local show, get 10, 15 of them signed, and then bring them to you exclusively through my portal. But direct-to-consumer has all manner of aspects. It, it's really uh, not limited, obviously, to new comics. It goes deep into our, our obsession with with all of those first appearances in the Bronze Age and in, and, and in the 90s. And again, you know, often my, my kind of citizen... Uh, component that the, the I call them the citizen's eyes, Jim Valentino from Shadowhawk and Guardians of the Galaxy, who was there when we launched Image Comics. He and I have talked so often about, about what we call citizens, people who just aren't, don't really interface with comics, don't interact 
but they they go see a Batman movie, and then they go to the comic store and they come out, you know, with 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 different assortments of comic books because it, their, their interest was peaked. My citizen eyes in my house is always going to be my wife, and and Joy is always, um, you know, very curious about what what is happening and what isn't happening in in the comic book space, and and so you know, the 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 idea that you can take these comics and 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 put them through this portal and have them reach you is is super fascinating uh especially to to someone like her but she has her own kind of citizens viewpoint and citizens opinion of things one of one of the many citizens you know opinions or citizens viewpoint that she brings to things is when we go to the movies and we see a new marvel or a dc film those are the you know most most uh, likely ones that we've been seeing lately, and she'll say, "Hey, when, when's that first appearance?" And I've covered this before on the show, so this isn't the first time you've heard me. But I'm I'm going to be like, "Well, Kang the Conqueror's first appearance is in the '60s, and it's thousands and thousands of dollars. It is very difficult to obtain. It is not um, hundreds of dollars, which is still super expensive, as you know, but not as intimidating as thousands of dollars." I've joked with all of you my quest for my top graded uh, first appearance of Wolverine, Hulk 181. I am trying to get to the upper echelon in regards to uh, gradings on, on, on that particular comic. And it's expensive. It is intimidatingly expensive. And uh, I mean, it's to the point where like, do I want to wa- buy a Lamborghini or do I want to buy a first appearance of Wolverine, right? But so many of the Bronze Age and 90s first appearances are more in the affordable realm. And they're being offered through these digital portals. Another thing my citizen's viewpoint of my wife uh, comes at things with is she, she thinks it's great that you can can buy it directly from your favorite cons- uh, your favorite creators outside of comic books outside of conventions. Again, she sees the joy that um that that producing comic books gives me uh, that, that that having these stories. But she also sees the time uh, that it, that it takes. And when you are traveling and going to the airport and waiting for the rental car and getting to the hotel and checking in and sleeping and then going to the convention for three days and then traveling after that and then getting home and then the recovery, it wipes you out. It's why so many people are, are quite frankly, producing, um, and maybe one of your favorites is producing less work than ever before because of the convention grind, of which I have been a part, and I do, I enjoy it so much, so very much, but at this point, I am focusing more on making the work and reaching you through direct-to-consumer con- um, portals, opportunities like whatnot. Rob Liefeld, the Rob Liefeld account on whatnot. We have sold 7,000 items in one year. We have a five-point rating because we've earned it. Dave Hong, Key Collectibles, I'm going to tell you what happens. We get a list. While we are um, doing our auctions, we have a store. In that store, you're buying things at such a pace that we can't see all the postings. And, and, and at the end, it's tabulated. That is then emailed to me, that list. I then go and pull all the books. Dave does not do that. I pull the books. The, the inventory is near me is nearby, I pull the books and, and, and try and pull the best quality grades and the best conditions again, because that's what you want. And, and then D- Dave double checks the work. Uh, and, and then I go about to sign and some of them are special orders. There's the blood splatter chisel, the drop shadow chisel. We offer different colored uh, signatures. If you want the blue signature, the red signature, the white signature, hey, it is, it is custom made for you and your taste. And so when you go on my whatnot, and you make those orders, and we have tried to divvy it up into so many options, and I have thought out loud, we have way too many options here. But after the show, I am given that list. I pull them. I compile them. I then uh, sign everything that's there, the prints, the posters. The, 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 there's, there's a remark option. I give you the remarks in the hardcovers. 
um, the blood splatters, and I leave them out. And because because Dave's a night owl in a container, he picks them up, and the shipping begins, and they get to you lightning fast in the best possible protected manner. That's why we have earned our uh, our our you know our high rating. And I know that there are um, huge accounts that do way more numbers than we do. And they do it with Bronze Age comics. They do it with uh, Silver Age. Obviously, those are all different categories. They do them with Funko Pops. They do them with toys. Obviously, Whatnot, uh, whatnot told me, you know, when I was speaking with them at their uh, Hero House, a, a great display that they had across from the San Diego Comic Convention this year, they were telling me how, like, you know, comic books is like either third or fourth most popular in the division because then you got sports cards, you've got sports apparel, you've got women's apparel. I mean, whatnot is moving a ton of uh, stuff direct to consumer and because, and you, the, 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 the retailer. And, and, and here's the thing you, you may say, Hey Rob, you mentioned a little while back that some stores aren't closing. No, there are stores that are closing. Yes. And some of them that are closing are now becoming direct to consumer full-time online uh, outlets. They're just bypassing the brick and mortar uh, so many of my stores, I got to be honest, here it started 10 years ago. I would come in looking for the latest trade paperback or the latest hardcover. And one of my, I, I appreciate him so much. The retailer said, Rob, I'm not carrying those anymore. I can't compete with Amazon. I can't compete with their, compete with their pricing. And I've been on the short end of so many of these recent hardcover and trade paperback options that I have abandoned it completely. I only carry the 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 new comic books and I carry the the back issues that I have and some toys. But as far as trade paperbacks, he says, I cannot compete with Amazon. This has become a a a kind of a, a siren that has been that has been uh you know sounded across the industry and so many uh mid-sized stores are not doing that, or they're doing the same. And so for some recent trade paperbacks and hardcovers, I am turning to Amazon because my my store told me to. So they don't want to take that risk. And so it's forcing me to then go through the online component and buying it. And in some cases, you guys, I see what they're saying. They are delivered at 11 a.m. the next morning when I put the order in at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. So direct to consumer, what we have to do is, as, as creators and, and, and retailers give you uh, the best menu options to entice you to do it and to be on time and to get your and to get your books there in the best possible condition and that's what we're trying to do but direct to consumer has changed the game for so many retailers who don't have to be stuck with that backstock or in many cases order the specialty books knowing that there is going to be a run on them and that they will have them and be able to offer them to you so direct to consumer has so many different options but when that publisher said to me rob the 90s would not have had the crash if if we had had this option to go global because now you're not just dependent on the guys in that city the guys and gals in that city to buy those books you can again sell to brazil and germany and all of europe uh you, you know you, you can sell uh to, to to mexico there is really no limits if you're willing to ship it and and the cost of the shipping is handled you can get your product your back stock your collectibles all over the world so direct consumer i only see growing and right now the live streams that you can find me on i've mentioned it several times during this period and why wouldn't i i i i'm 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 only broadcasting at this time really on saturdays i've gone down to one uh time uh per week in the throws if when deadpool batter blood comes out number four on september 20th i probably will go on that wednesday and then that following saturday so i'm i'm not necessarily doubling up 
uh, consistently anymore, but I'm there. I'll alert you. If you follow me on whatnot, you'll, be, you'll get an alert that, that, uh, that the, I'm going to be posting a show. So thank you so much. And we, we still have more variants uh, to come with whatnot. I, here's the deal, guys. For a month, I, I went off live streaming. I wasn't live streaming for four weeks. And I, I realized how much I missed it, how much I missed the audience. I got so many uh, really great messages from you. And so did Key Collectibles asking us to return to the space. And we did. And, and again, I just see how much fun it can be, especially in, in, in regards to creators. And some retail accounts have multiple creators that they also facilitate, which is great because so many creators need to be facilitated, like myself, need somebody holding their hand. Hey, direct-to-consumer is real. We'll continue to visit it uh, as, as it grows and as it, as it expands. It really caught fire, and my retailers will tell me, uh, oh, man, Instagram Live, Facebook Live, where it was born, then it, but before they transitioned but to, to, to whatnot. But, but some of them are still doing all of them. Some are still finding the audience wherever that audience may be, and, on, and given the online uh, our, our online connections, there are audiences at all times. So direct to consumer is only going to continue to grow. Wanted to cover that, wanted to cover that in depth, give you um, how we participate in it and, and some of the success stories that I have, I have seen. I know retailers not only thrived because of this, but have expanded because of this and, and because of the, the, the way that, that, that they give you those offerings and they'll go to the conventions and they'll get the exclusives and they'll have them for you because you couldn't make it. It is, again, the best component of the direct-to-consumer, the direct-to-consumer model is the, the, you know, the, 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 uh, the personal shopping aspect, okay? The personal shopper, you know, you want it, I can get it for you and then I can give it to you and I can offer more of it through this portal because you couldn't be there, but I was and I have it and I can get it to you. It's great. It's only going to expand and grow. We cannot uh, continue on without, without touching again on creator cameos, creator cameos, comic books. Uh, we want to see our creators given the, 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 you know, their due. Uh, some of them, again, it's just, it's just unfortunate that the mighty King Kirby, Jack King Kirby passed away in, in 1994. And he wasn't able to see all of what would come of his magnificent creations. Now, you know, Stan Lee, who was alongside of him during that time, was able to see it. And you got to know him and you got to see him. And he's very distinct. Jack Kirby was also very distinct. And, and I have no doubt that he would have also been in so many of those productions. And you would get to know Jack just as well. But we can't, you know, we, we can't go back in time and change the people who passed. They passed. And the ones that survived, the ones... uh that maybe got some, some of the greater spotlight. And all too often, a creator cameo goes by in, in, a, in, a, in a production and you don't even see it. You don't, you don't know that you even just saw that comic book creator. But let me tell you something. Maybe the best place for comic book creators to do their cameos is in the comic books themselves. And I am going to tell you today what I believe is the greatest Comic book creator cameo comic ever published. It inspired many others to come. It was not the first. It certainly would not be the last. But is it the best? It is absolutely the best. I came across this comic in the waning days of summer, right before school was set to start up again, in August of 1976. It was on the stands in August of 1976. I would not move from my uh, house on Magnolia and and. Uh, <clears throat> Magnolia and Broadway in Anaheim. I would not move from that house until one year from this point in, in 1977, the summer of Star Wars. 
So the liquor store that I have talked to so often, if I, and I haven't actually brought this up in a, in a while, but on Magnolia and Broadway was an intersection. And on the four corners of that intersection was a 7-Eleven, okay? Uh, the closest, the, 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 there was a liquor store that faced a 7-Eleven, that faced a Pizza Hut, that faced a grocery outlet called Stater Brothers. What united all of them is three of those outlets, 7-Eleven, the liquor store, and the Stater Brothers sold comic books. And the Pizza Hut is where I would read those comic books with my greasy fingers. That Marvel team-up, Murder World, Spider-Man, Captain Britain, I put my greasy fingers all over that at a Pizza Hut in 1977, okay? That, that, that is where I consumed it, and I couldn't put it down. I could not look up. My parents were having their own conversation. They knew that Robbie was lost in his comic book at that time, but that was uh, a purchase it at the 7-Eleven or going to dinner over at the Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut used to be a built-in restaurant, nothing like what it is now. Sometimes you'll see these. You guys, you guys remember when Pizza Hut was a dine-in restaurant. You got met at the, at the you know, at the, at the, at the, <laughs> the host desk, and you were set in one of your booths or one of your tables. You were given a menu. The, the pizza was brought to you. The, I also believe the pizza was better back then. Um, it, it was just a fun experience. Families dined out. Pizza Hut was a restaurant instead of this incredible uh, pizza delivery fulfillment service that they've become. Look, I still enjoy a good Pizza Hut pizza, but boy, those 1970s pizza pies. And if you ask the people who were there, they will all say in unison, we remember it. We remember, we remember it well. It was so much. It tasted different. It tasted better. That's my opinion. But did I consume comics there? Did I read them on the weekends? Yes. Get going out uh, to get pizza as a family. Uh, we didn't really bring it home in, in, in boxes. We went out. Again, not a lot of, uh, not a lot of takeout. We would go out. My dad uh, worked at our church. He was the you know, associate pastor behind my grandfather at his church. And, and so you know, going out to pizza was a big deal. And, and trust me, going out to the steakhouse, which was maybe four times a year, was an even bigger deal. But we, we managed on a, on a pastor's salary. And again, with all of the extra money, the, the lunch money, the 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 the, mon, the 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 mowing of the lawns, and as well as the change that my dad and mom would lose in the couch cushions, and you, some of you are old enough to know what that is. Uh, I would I would have enough to buy twenty five cent, thirty five cent comic books. Summer of nineteen seventy six, the liquor store, and I've told you guys, the liquor store had the best assortment of comics. The guys who ran the liquor store, it it was either three friends, three brothers, it was a family, and it was all the way in the back, positioned in the back of the liquor store. They had a great magazine rack too. I got Superman versus Muhammad Ali. I got Spider-Man versus uh, Superman. They had great treasury editions. They really bought everything. They had a penchant for comic books. And it was so interesting given that it was literally other than just a, a couple of bags of chips. I mean, tons and tons and tons of liquors, uh, tequila, vodka, gin. I mean, I would walk by all the bottles and they knew me there. They thought I was a funny little kid on the skateboard who would come I would skate four blocks down and get to that intersection. And again, if they didn't have a cool comic, I would go check out 7-Eleven, which had strictly more Marvel DCs, but some Atlas comics. Stater Brothers had the had some individuals, but mostly sold them in the pre-sealed packs, which were a big deal during this time in department stores and in grocery stores. Pre-sealed packs, Marvel and DC, they'd have three, you know, three each. Uh, I still have unopened, uh, uh, unopened pre-sealed packs, which would have an amazing Spider-Man a Godzilla, a Shogun Warriors, a lot of the toy and the licensing stuff, they made sure to package and to get into grocery stores at that time so that, again, Battlestar Galactica, uh, what, what was packaged, uh, again, Battlestar Galactica, Shogun Warriors, I, I have those two packs, three packs. It was a great way to get comic books. And, and 
you know, you'd buy three comics for a buck in the bag and then get home, tear the bag open and enjoy three comics. It was, it was just the, the, the way that comic books were available is something that I can just uh, dine out on all the time. They were everywhere. You, you, drug stores, grocery stores, and again, the, all of the different markets. So August 1976, I think it's August 24th that this book was around because I remember, you know, you remember, you know, as a kid when school is coming, you know, when your days are winding down and right after Labor Day, when I was growing up, boom, you were back in school. Now, some of you kids are back before Labor Day, but you knew the countdown was coming. Late August meant you have run out of summer. You, you are you, the, 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 the runway that you had for that season is ending and you will soon be back on a regiment of school, schoolwork, homework, all of that stuff. Uh, I wandered in. I saw this copy of Fantastic Four, number 176. It has a Jack King Kirby kick-ass comic book. There's a character. His name is the Impossible Man. He is green. He has a very, uh, an oval face with points on his uh, pointed chin and a pointed, uh, you know, top, top of his, of his head. Uh, he is very unique looking, giant, um, very prominent eyebrows. Thin green character, the impossible man. He can shapeshift, turn into whatever he desires. He is an alien that has encountered the Fantastic Four many times prior. The storyline that they are coming out of right before this is this giant cosmic galactus battle. The high evolutionary who many of you met in the Guardians of the Galaxy for the first time, the Guardians of the Galaxy third uh, uh, film that came out this year. High evolutionary grows to the size of galactus. In this, on a counter Earth, another Earth, another in another dimension, and and the Fantastic Four are are aligned in trying to you know defeat Galactus as, as and and his intentions. And at the very end of that, Impossible Man, an alien, appears and and assists in the outcome. Impossible Man, we've talked about Echoes before. My very first episode of Rob Observations, I talk about how I picked up Avengers. I believe it's one forty one. And it has the Avengers battling the Squadron Supreme, who are Marvel's version of the Justice League. That's it. That's that's as that's that's as fast as you can say it, and as correctly as you can see it. There are echoes of Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, Hawkman, Black Canary, Green uh, Black Canary, Green Arrow, you Flash, you you name it, they have it. And as a kid, you're like, hey, these are Marvel versions of DC characters, and it was exciting. And somewhat confusing, but that's just the way it went. Okay. And, and, and DC would also do it to Marvel and Marvel would do it to DC and they would have these echoes of different characters at different care at different companies. And, and it was fun. It was fun as a kid, as a seven year old to be going, wow, they can, they can do this. And a couple of years later, the Imperial Guard, which is an absolute echo of the Legion of Superheroes that was created by the guy who left the Legion of Superheroes was a fan favorite on the Legion of Superheroes. The Legion of Superheroes is DC's uh, group, uh, mainly a young teenage group of heroes in the 30th century. Marvel had their own version of that with the Imperial Guard, also by Dave Cockrum, who had come off a Legion of Superheroes run. So these echoes were common. Well, the echo that Impossible Man represents is Mr. McPitalix, uh, the, the little... Um, uh, uh, scheming uh what do we call him imp uh that 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 taunts superman and if you say his name backwards that is the way to defeat him he wears a little derby 
He's in purple and orange outfits. Um, Impossible Man was 100% absolutely a uh, an echo uh, in, in, in his mannerisms. There's a, there's at one point in this comic 176, he is like kind of sitting on a cloud, leaning in the air in the same way that I would see Mr. Mixpitalix. And that is how I was told, or Mixelplix. You know, I've, I've heard them both ways. I like Mix, Mr. Mixpitalix is how some comic book people told me. Now we can argue how to say that name, just like we butcher Liefeld. Um, let's let's talk about how Mr. Mixpitalix is pronounced, uh, you know. But anyway, the Impossible Man is an is a uh, a mischievous imp who likes to impose on the Fantastic Four uh, chaos and shenanigans that create problems for them. He appears, uh, he reappears as they are navigating their way home from this multi-issue uh, adventure that involved Galactus. As we open Fantastic Four 176, the cover by Jack King Kirby has the Impossible Man. One arm has turned into a hammer. He is punching thing with it. One arm is Iron Man's repulsor glove from his, 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 his glove from his armor, and he is blasting Human Torch. Reed Richards is reaching out, trying to catch him as he jumps over him. An invisible woman is at the bottom of the, of, of the right side of the cover, invisible, um, trying to basically avoid his rage. There are comic book pages and comic books. Thor is visible, as is Iron Man, and pages from the Fantastic Four are, are, um, screwn, are, are strewn, strewn about a conference room, and in the back of Impossible Man's head, you see it says Marvel Comics Conference Room. They are in Marvel Comics on this cover, and you're like, what is happening? I'm eight years old. I got my uh, Mountain Dew. I guarantee you it was a Mountain Dew. I had this comic. Going back and seeing what was released on this day, again, I went to the, the Rack Spinner Spinner Rack account on Twitter, on X, and there was an I believe an Iron Man issue. I, I remember getting that as well. I, I I walked out with one, two comics, but I, I, I didn't really see anything for days other than this particular issue of Fantasy Four 176. They are navigating their way home from space. Impossible Man is on the ship. He is taunting them. They are um, accelerating and about to crash into Earth because, as they say, because, come on, it's a comic book. I got to read this to you. Oh my gosh, this is so great. It says here on like I think page four or five. Um, they're like, we're coming in faster than we expected to Earth. And and it says that's because the high evolutionary ship runs on tachyon power, Johnny. As long as that's in force, it can't go slower than the speed of light. Oh my gosh. They are incoming uh Earth and specifically New York City traveling too fast. So the next few pages are the shenanigans of them trying to slow it down, of Johnny flying around creating a vortex, of Sue putting an invisible force field as they crash crash into a uh, lake in Central Park. Uh, Impossible Man, he teleports out of the ship and watches. And he says, uh, <clears throat> they're mentioning some of the places that they're going to go as, 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 uh, as, as they're crashing. Um, and uh, it, the, the, the thing is basically saying, we're going to be splattered uh, from the zoo to Morningside Heights. And Impossible Man says, hmm, I'm not sure about those places you mentioned. And they don't sound uh, that they would be as if they would be any fun at all. In fact, I'm almost sure they wouldn't. So if you'll just pardon me, I think I'll watch from the outside. He teleports outside the ship while, um, and, and again, positions himself like um, he's laying down on the sky. Very Mr. Mixpitalix here. Impossible Man is green, and he has a purple costume. And he has a very striking visual. He is, he is absolutely 100% uh, amazing 
I, I have loved him as a kid and mostly from this comic as, as you're going to hear. And before we go, before we go any further into the impossible man, you need to know that this is also a brainchild of Jack Kirby and, and Stanley first appearing uh, in Fantastic Four number 11, first tormenting him. So, so he has been around uh, uh, our good buddy, the impossible man has been around and every time he appeared, I, I, I would just have the best time. He is so much fun, but here he is as impish and as mischievous as he's, as he's ever been. And again, this comic, I'm eight years old. It's 1976. It's August 1976. It's August 24th when this thing comes out. End of summer. And, 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 and the perfect pivot, I might add, from this giant cosmic, you know, worlds at stake, you know, millions of lives, uh, uh, Galactus, multi-part epic that had just wrapped. It's, it's a great pivot, a great kind of cleanser with the amount of humor that's about to be injected in this. Uh, the, the, uh, the ship lands, the force field that Sue puts it around it, you know, saves them. And then they try and get a cab. They try and get a taxi. <laughs> and, and, the, and an invisible woman hides herself uh, so that, that the taxi driver will let them get in the taxi. Uh, and, and that they will, because he's like, I can't take five. And so they immediately become three when, uh, when, when, when she slows down or four, because I forget the thing is also getting in. Um, anyway, they get into a, a, a car accident. They get out of the car and uh, Impossible Man turns into a balloon. And he starts blowing in the winds across, you know, Manhattan. And we join him on page 16 of this book, which is written by Roy Thomas, drawn by George Perez, inked by Joe Sinnott. Written by Roy Thomas, who was the heir apparent when Stan left and became the EIC, the de facto EIC. Uh, and in an era where they were letting different writer artists, Marvel, Marvel Wolfman, Len Wein, Jerry Conway, become the editors of their own books. It was this era of the writer artist, but they still had to answer to somebody. And Roy Thomas was, was, was one of those somebodies uh, through, through, through many years prior to this. And, and, and Roy is actually listed as Roy Thomas writer and editor on this book. And this is a, this is a blast. This book is so much fun as a balloon, as a green balloon, his face is on the balloon. Impossible man waves is, is wavering over the city, blowing through the city. And he sees two people walking by talking about all the wonderful Marvel comic books that are made in this building. And he says, we're Spidey, Fantastic Four, all of them are made. And, uh, impossible man says in his thought balloon, comic books. And, uh, they have, you know, lost sight. The Fantastic Four, uh, they had to get out of the cab, get out of the taxi. There was, a, there was an accident. Thing busted through the door. Um, they consoled the taxi driver. They're trying to find out exactly where Impass Impossible Man went. And they see that he is hovering over this building. Outside the building, Impossible Man talks about, I don't know. I don't, I don't know just what these comic books are. This is the super meta comic book of our time. This is so meta. It is so great. But if my friends of Fantastic Four are in these comic books, they must be loads of fun. Let's see how these two people, let's see now. Those two young people spoke of comic books being created on the sixth floor. And the, 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 the citizen on the street who says, this is Marvel Comics, you know, this is where they're made. He talks about being on the, the best comic books in the world are made right there on the sixth floor, he says. So then we peer inside the window that Impossible Man is looking at himself. And we see none other than Stan 
the manly, that, that Roy Thomas himself is saying, but Stan, and Stan is saying, now you tell me, now you tell me. And Impossible Man says, what is Stan? Okay. And the bottom panel of this page 16 has George Perez and Roy Thomas on either side of Stan Lee as his arms are flailing. And Jack Kirby is seated on the couch uh, facing all of them. They are presumably in Stan's office. George Perez says, really, Stan, we've been trying to reach the Fantastic Four all week. Their answering service says that they're out of town. And to which Stan says, I was out of town too, George, lecturing uh, and conferring, spreading the faith, as it were, when I got this emergency call from you and Roy. Okay, so now, as a kid, I'm like George and Roy. I was already following the credits of comics even way back then because it, it's I would go, why do I like this comic better than I like that comic? Let me see. Oh, there's credits. Oh, because this one's drawn by George and written by fill in the blank. Jerry Conway and Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, Roy Thomas, Chris Claremont, those were my go-to writers. The artists at this time who were regularly employed, the, the, the George Perez's, the Jim Starlin's, the John Burns, those guys had all of my attention. So Roy and George, and it's in Marvel Comics. And, and I'm like, and, and George is drawing himself, beard, uh, 70s haircut, Roy Thomas, 70s haircut. Stan is in his 70s um, um, appearance in his office. There's a poster of the Hulk. There's a poster of the Vision. Um, but 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 Stan, they're, they're basically discussing that the, that the Fantastic Four are out of town and not able to create these daring feats of heroism that they do throughout the city that they then chronicle in the comic books. And uh, so Roy speaks to the emergency call that Stan is talking about when he says, when I got this emergency call from George and Roy, he says, it is an emergency. Jolton Joe Sinnott, the anchor of, of, of Fantastic Four Forever, uh, is waiting for pages right now. But how do we do our authorized Fantastic Four comic book if they don't tell us what they've been up to? So, so they're telling you in this comic book that the Fantastic Four's adventures that you read on a monthly basis are done by the Fantastic Four and interpreted by the, the, the staff of Marvel Comics. Roy says, do you have any ideas, Jack? I know you just got back from the West Coast, but... And there's Jack sitting there on the couch in this panel at the bottom of page 16. And he says, sure, I've got an idea. And then we have a great close-up, a great close-up of Jack Kirby. It is the best likeness in the entire book. George and Joe Sinnott nailed it. Uh, he says, why don't you two lads just make up some stories about the FF? J- Jack is chomping on his cigar. He says, why don't you two make up some stories about the FF? Then there's a double shot of Roy and George Perez. And, and Roy says, what? Make up stories? And, and George says, instead of drawing what actually happened? And then close up on Stan and he says, nice try, Jack. Nice try, Jack. But it just doesn't get it done. You can hear Stan's voice. Uh, and then Roy says, no, wait, Stan. He's right. Don't you see? I'll write some made up stories. And George says, and I'll just make up some supervillains. And then Stan says, you two sound like Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. Uh, uh, references that will be lost on, on many of you who are not our age. Um, and and so, uh, so then Stan says, we'd better come up with a more realistic plan before it's due. Boom. Then pop. That's the sound effect. Much like Nightcrawler's BAMF, Impossible Man pops in. And he is looking at a wall of comics that is in front of Stan. When Stan says, we better come up with a more realistic plan here. And Impossible Man says, my, my, so imaginative. And Stan says, who in blazes are you? 
And Impossible Man says, they call me Impossible Man. And now that I understand what comic books are, I want you to make one of me. And then we get Jack Kirby, Stan Lee, and George Press, who is standing with his arms folded. Jack says, sure, hold that pose, kid. And it's got Jack already drawing paper on the table, pencil in hand. I'll make you an eternal. Maybe I'll put you in 2001, two of the books that he was doing for Marvel at this time of his publication. And it's so great also that there's a Jack Kirby on a cover on this thing. Uh, Stan then says, wait, I just recall. We did this guy already years ago. Um, and he says, remember, a lot of our readers didn't like that issue because he was too silly. Then we get a close up of Impossible Man. He's enraged at the idea that he's too silly. He says, silly? Who are you calling silly? I'll show you, silly. He turns into a purple and green version of Cap's shield and flings it across the room. And Roy ducks and pulls Stan down. Says, down, Stan. Pulls Stan down, Stan down beneath the velocity of the shield that's being thrown. And because uh, Impossible Man says, I'll show you with the things that I saw pictured on your wall. And then, uh, then, then Impossible Man points to his hand, which he has transformed. Because again, he can ship shaped. He has transformed his hand into Iron Man's glove, just like he, it, it, it's shown on the cover. And he says, there, did that look silly to you? And here's another thing I can do. I can uh, do now that I, here's, here's another thing I can do now that I've thought of it. And you get an off panel caption that says, run everybody. And so our comic book creators are on the run in the pages of uh, Marvel Comics as they are being pursued by the tyranny of a hot-tempered impossible man. We then see uh, George Perez is running out of the room with Stan over his shoulder. Uh, in the hallway uh, is, is, a, is a poster of Red Sonja. Roy Thomas is closing the door and Jack Kirby is making a, a dash uh, for it down the left hallway. And Roy says, there, I don't know how long this door is going to hold. And, uh, and George is saying, I've got the man, because Stan is called Stan the Man. And it says, uh, Jack says, good, because I'm getting the fruitcakes uh, <laughs> as, he, as he bolts off. Well, then the door explodes and all of the wood from the door is, 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 is shattering around Roy Thomas, who is ducking. And, uh, and then Impossible Man flies overhead with Namor's little ankle uh, wings. And Roy says, heads up, people. And right at that point, because Jack Kirby is running to get the fruitcakes. He bumps into a very large man who identifies himself as John Verputin. Now, John Verputin is also an inker, but at this time, he is the production manager and he introduces himself. He says, hey, hello there, Jack. Remember me? John Verputin. Jumbo Jack. Uh, Jumbo John, they call me. Don't know why. He is literally drawn much taller, uh, kingpin-esque, <laughs> towering over, over, over Jack Kirby, who is stopped in his tracks and looking up at him kind of in bewilderment like, Get out of my way. And, and John Verputin says, I'm Marvel's production manager. And Jack says, yeah, I know. Please get out of my way. And, uh, and then Marv Wolfman is running by because he is married to Michelle Wolfman at the time. And he says, Michelle? Random insert uh, cameo of Marv Wolfman. And there's more to come. John Verputin stops Jack Kirby. And it, 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 it shows in a very comedic fashion. George is doing this great. He pulls Jack uncomfortably close. And you can see by Jack, Jack's face is practically in John Verputin's bosom, who has a pipe in his mouth. And John says, again, this is all while Impossible Man is terrorizing the offices. He says, not so fast, Mr. K. You see, I had to stop and tell you how much the entire bullpen loves these new 2001 pages that you're producing. And Jack says, thanks, but I, you don't, he 
And he says, and then John Verputin c- continues with all these pages in his hands. I love this one nuclear explosion you drew with that big sound effect. And then, boom, big sound effect follows in the actual comic book. A giant blam knocking Verputin and Kirby uh, off their off their heels. That they're, they're like they're like being blasted back like they would blast a villain in a comic book. And uh, and Jack Kirby's saying somehow I knew this was going to happen. Then Impossible Man is standing over their fallen figures, and he has Cyclops' visor, Cyclops from the X Men, his visor, and he says, and Impossible says, Impossible Man says, well now now are you going to give me my own comic book, or am I eye blast too silly for you? He's still leaning into the fact they call him silly. John Verpotin is crawling away, saying, uh, "Verpotin is 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 drawing is crawling away, saying, geez, these freelancers get pushier all the time. Wonder where Stan Lee dug him up.' Then, Impossible Man is blasted by flames from behind, and he says, uh, "He says you're going to force me." But then a word balloon says, "And you're going to force me, Impy, to give you a hot foot where it counts." And then Jack Kirby is looking over his shoulder, and he says, "You're not going to believe this," to John Verpotin. And there's the Fantastic Four in all their glory. Thing, Fantastic Four, Sue, and uh, 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 Reed are all bursting through this one panel. Human Torch is flying, leading the way. And he says, all right, you pint-sized goblin. It's happy trails time for you. And Reed cautions, says, remember everybody, uh, you know, careful. Remember his powers. And then Thing says, I was just remembering mine. Impossible Man turns his arm into a hose and douses Johnny with water, putting his flames out. Uh, the uh, the Thing pops him, pops Impossible Man into, into, into a wall. Impossible Man gets into a classic Jack Kirby Thor pose, his, his hand turning into Thor's hammer again, just as is displayed on the cover, and he pops the Thing. And he says, is it is it time to clobber yet? As he, uh, uh, trading on the Thing's um, clobber in time and pops him back and the thing blasts through uh walls of the uh, uh of the bullpen and someone says see marie i've been telling you they should get the wall fixed marie uh uh <clears throat> is, is only is only shown from the back we can only assume this is marie severin and 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 she was a production uh manager at that time doing touch-ups uh, making schedules making the marvel comics uh run on time we we only see her from behind as she looks up as the thing is blasted past him thing gets up to battle impossible man he takes a swing impossible man turns into a rocket and disappears johnny wet you know uh drenched his hair is wet he is running with sue down the the hallway of marvel comics which has posters of conan and human torch and archie goodwin who would go on to be the next editor-in-chief uh is walking down the hallway again a great likeness of, of, of of archie and he says uh they say, pardon us, buddy, and, and, and to, to, to Archie. And Archie says, me, I'm still trying to figure out whether I'm artful Archie or articular Archie. Speaking to the different monikers, they would give like Jolton Jack or, you know, Stan the Man or Gorgeous George Perez. Okay, so Archie is saying, I'm still trying to figure out whether I'm artful Archie or articular Archie. Then the next panel, you have Len Wein, dead on Len Wein. The, the, the man who brought you Giant Size X-Men number one, who brought you Hulk 181, all of your favorite first appearances of Wolverine and the X-Men. He is running out of the room and he says, uh, I'm getting out of here. Uh, and and, and, and Johnny, to, to Johnny Storm is asking him if he's seen a green alien. And Len says, you know what? I'm getting out of here. Does not identify him by name, but it is very clearly George just having a blast drawing and, and Roy putting all of these different Marvel comics uh, creators 
running through the halls of Marvel Comics. Uh, Impossible Land is now turned into a wasp buzzing around the Fantasy Four. And the thing says, let me get my mitts on you, and you'll be flatter than a bug on a windshield. And Reed says, no further threats, Reed. And Reed says, uh, look, he basically says to Impossible Man, he says, let me try and get this done for you. Reed outstretches his arm and grabs Stan Lee. Archie Goodwin, in the panel that he's doing it, Archie is still looking over the credits page uh, of the bullpen bulletins. He, Reed grabs Stan, says, hold it right there. And he takes Stan away from George Perez. And he says, and Stan says, who? Oh, it's you, Mr. Fantastic. And he says, uh, we have a powwow about my friend Stan. And I mean now. We then see a panel that has, uh, that has again, uh, Len Wein, Jack Kirby, John Verpoten, Roy Thomas, uh, Archie Goodwin, everybody is standing alongside the Fantastic Four. They have wrapped up Stan. Reed has him wrapped up with his rubber arm, like, like wrapped around him. And he says, so you see, all it's going to take is one special issue featuring the Impossible Man, and he'll go away. And Stan says, no, nothing could persuade me to give me, to, to give that irresponsible imp Free publicity. Um, the thing then leans all the way into Stan, intimidating him. The thing is, is oh my gosh, leans right in and says, nothing? Like, there's nothing that we can do to persuade you? And Stan says, well, I guess everybody deserves a second chance. Maybe just one issue. At that point, Impossible Man erupts in the halls of Marvel Comics and says, they say, are you happy now? He says, am I ever back on Earth um, and in less than an hour, I'm a comic book hero with a comic book of my own. I'll never leave this planet again. Sue Storm says, Ooh, we should have thought of this. Um, so then uh, a, a, a proofreader approaches them and says, I'm Roger. And I was practicing my proofreading. And there's some uh, classified ads. And I thought one might be of interest to, to you. And he gives a classified ad that's going into the Marvel Comics to Reed Richards, where he reads that the Frightful Four, their nemesis, are holding auditions at the Baxter building. So while they've been gone in another dimension on Counter-Earth, fighting alongside High Evolutionary to defeat Galactus, their villains have taken over their headquarters. So they immediately fly out of the Marvel Comics uh, offices. The the, uh, Impossible Man has become like a a, uh, flying skis, and each of them are flying on one of his skis and Johnny is flying independent, but he's flying them back to the Baxter building. And at the end, as we close, Stanley, Roy Thomas, and George Prez are looking out the window of the Marvel comics of the sixth floor. And Stan says, thank heaven they're gone at last. And Roy says, well, Stan, I guess George and I will get started on that impossible man story. And Stan says, what story? And George says, why the one you said we'd do with the green guy. Forget it. That promise was made under duress. And, uh, and, he, and Roy says, wait, we're not going to do the Impossible Man issue? And Stan is very cleverly in this next panel positioned right center, dead center of a Howard the Duck poster. Again, throughout the entire issue, you've seen Red Sonia, Conan, Vision, Hulk, uh, all manner of different Marvel Comics characters as posters in the Marvel Comics uh, offices. And and so Stan is positioned under center with one of those posters, which now has Howard the Duck, who is just standing there smoking a cigar. And so 
reacting to Roy saying, we're not going to do an Impossible Man's stand with his hand waving. Roy off says, never. Marvel Comics hasn't gotten time to waste on silly looking comic characters. The irony is that he is saying this in front of a Howard the Duck. Oh my gosh. Uh, we then leave Marvel Comics for good. The Fantastic Four arrive in the Baxter building and in a three-quarter page panel. I remember, I mean, what's better than being uh, having this great episode where Impossible Man terrorizes the Marvel Studios, Marvel offices, but this last three-quarter panel of uh, the Wizard, uh, the Trapster, and the Sandman, and his hand is raised with, as a giant sand, you know, uh, a hammer, uh, and they are like, uh, you know, basically, welcome to the Baxter Building. Next issue, the Frightful Four as they face off, and I'm telling you, those issues rock. Let me tell you something. Uh, uh, my, my favorite phrase, let me tell you something. Okay, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man, because we've done sales uh, of what's going on in the late 70s. Spider-Man and Fantastic Four were their most popular books. They were their most popular vital. X-Men, X-Men had not exerted its dominance. Daredevil with Frank Miller was a couple years off. Uh, Fantastic Four and Spider-Man were the alphas uh, of the Mar- of Marvel Comics. So this was a best-selling, top-selling and the cre- uh, issue of Marvel Comics. And the cover by Kirby is fantastic. It is one of his top-tier covers during this time. The, you are so centered on this green and purple figure, Impossible Man, and again, the one hand as Iron Man's repulsor glove and the his other turning into very distinctly Thor's hammer punching thing in the face. Uh, and, and he's in, in Marvel Comics and the Fantastic Four are, are diving and dodging him and trying to reach out and grab him. Super dynamic cover. Great way to pique your curiosity. Again, coming out of a giant cosmic saga and I took you in and look, we got Len Wein, we got Marv Wolfman, Jack Kirby, we got Stan Lee, we got Roy Thomas. Uh, did I say George Perez already? We got Archie Goodwin, we got John Verpoten. Um, uh, we, got, uh, we got a back of the head Marie Severin, we got a really quick running through Marv Wolfman. I count at least 10 comic book creators running through. And let me tell you something. The banner on every Fantastic Four during this time would say the world's greatest comic magazine. The world's greatest comic magazine, Fantastic Four. Top seller. All of these creator cameos. Just having an absolute blast interacting with the flagship Marvel comic. The one that really kicked off the Marvel Universe as we know it today. And the people who draw the book, Roy Thomas and... Uh, George Perez, as well as the creators of the Fantastic Four, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, front and center alongside Impossible Man, and eventually the actual Fantastic Four as their their offices are being terrorized. I have never, ever experienced a comic book creator cameo comic as delightful, as fun, as exciting, and as well executed as this one. So many people, yeah, you, they, they've drawn themselves in the comic. I know John Byrne appeared in an, an issue of Fantastic Four as a narrator during a, a kind of a comedic spell, uh, w- w- you know, uh, a, a month where everything was a little funnier. And uh, it's just not the same. It's not the same as, as, as learning, you know, you're like, wow, the, the, the creators draw the, the adventures of the Fantastic Four as they relay them to Marvel Comics. And what are they going to do? They've been gone for, you know, for an extended period of time. They've got to make their deadlines. Boom, meta, you know, super meta, the Fantastic Four and Impossible Man arrive in the offices. You should grab this. It's, it's been reprinted in a couple different collections, but I'm sure it is not a very costly individual issue. Grab it online, read it however you can. It is spectacular. Given 
the love and adoration that we have given to George Perez. We don't speak of his multi-yeared tenure on Fantastic Four enough. It was so much fun. Great, amazing issues. The Eradicator and Salem 7 are some of my favorite adventures that they experienced during this time. But this is easily one of the highlights. I remember as a kid going, that's George Perez. That's Roy Thomas. Hey, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, really good likenesses. Stan is really portrayed as funny. Obviously, going back on his word immediately, uh, all the uh, kind, kind of the every bit, the huckster that people have portrayed him to be uh, in, in the past in, 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 in a funny way, uh, the hustler that he is uh, 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 and, and, and yelling at the creators. It's very funny. It's very humorous. Uh, John Verputin pulling Jack Kirby into his bosom to show him you know, his own work and tell him how much he admired it. There is so much meta going on in this. It is in 1976, and little Robbie Liefeld was blown away. I hope that so many other fans of that time had the same reaction. It was a great release valve for all of the consequences that they had been facing because I'm telling you, the issue before this uh, with, 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 with Galactus and, and High Evolutionary, I believe, that, that, I believe that chapter itself, that actual episode, is, uh, is drawn by John Buscema, the powerhouse of, of Marvel Comics illustration at the time. But George actually did chapters in that saga as well. Gore, uh, the Golden Gorilla, is in Deadpool Batter Blood, number one. That's how much this affected me. Gore, the Golden Gorilla, who is part of this multi-part uh, epic that, that this really serves as the epilogue to, as the pivot issue. Uh, Gore affected me to the point that he is a story point and appears in Deadpool Batter Blood, number one. That's how much... I can tell you that this stuff resonates with me, but we talk about creator cameos. This one has existed for how many years now? 1976. I mean, good God. I mean, what, we, we are, we are what, 47 years uh, uh, since this. It's never been better. Now, George Perez and Marv Wolfman would go on to draw themselves uh, in some backup adventures and, and actual, you know, actual issues of the Titans. I believe they're both in attendance at the wedding of Donna Troy. And little known fact, my name is in the guest book. I was a huge Teen Titans fan. George Perez wrote my name in the guest book because I was part of the Teen Titans fan club. Uh, so, so George and Marv, this is not their first foray into appearing in comics, but I think there is, this is the best one. George trying to figure out what he's going to draw and then the enthusiasm. Okay, we'll get started. We're not doing that. Stan uh, playing turncoat. On, on our on our our, our uh, alien impossible man, um, really fun story. Creator cameos, uh, we don't get enough of them in film, but it's never been better than this Fantastic Four one seventy six released in the summer of seventy six. Right as summer was winding down, I would stop outside the liquor store, peruse this. Uh, I, I put my skateboard under my arm and 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 walked back. The, sp- the skateboard was to get me there as fast as I possibly could. And then I would often just look down at the comic and I would occasionally see my feet walking in front of me until I r- arrived back at my house. Or oftentimes I would plop down in the front yard underneath the tree and read the latest comic books that I had gotten. Many of them during that time. Fantastic Four, because Fantastic Four again was the rage. X-Men is being released by, by uh, monthly at this point. It's, a, it's six times a year. It hasn't even kicked in the monthly state, they have really, literally, the X Men have just come back. They have not found their their groove. They will not dominate Marvel uh, for years yet to come. But the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine, features the world's greatest comic book 
cameos ever. In my humble opinion, get on this, get a copy. You will absolutely not regret it. Uh, just, just a real gem that you should have in your collection for all these different reasons. Comic book creator cameos done the right way. Wow, that was a packed episode. I hope you enjoyed uh, direct to consumer kind of examining how that practice is only going to continue to help us get comic books into the hands of people who love them. And comic book creator cameos. Come on, it doesn't get better than that Fantastic Four episode. I just want to thank you so much, as always, for listening in and being as generous and kind uh, as you always are, especially in regards to the word of mouth and the reviews that you put out about this show. You could not be more uh, supportive of this show. We are the number one comic book podcast. You have powered, powered us to the top spot. That is because of you. Thank you. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you for all of the ways that you have expressed uh, your, your excitement over the show, the ways that you have uh, have, uh, have 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 shared you know, just just the, the excitement that you have with other people and the word of mouth. We are carried by you, the listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in every Tuesday and Friday, and and then all the backlog catalogs that we see. Uh, that, that you are going through. It is such an honor to, to when I interact and encounter you, whether it's on some of the live streams where we're doing direct to consumer or in the conventions at the appearances or on, on the different social media platforms that I'm going to share with you in a minute where you can find me all the ways that you communicate, how much you are enjoying the show. It is, it is honestly that the, the, the topic that is discussed with me now more than ever with so many of you. So thank you for powering us to the top spot. Uh, I read your reviews at the end of each and every episode, and you are always so generous. This is from Toffman, T-O-P-H-M-A-N-2, Toffman. He he writes, and, and it's uh, very succinct, this is it. This is it, he writes. Gives us five stars. This is the podcast I've been looking for. Rob's knowledge, passion, and research of comic book and pop culture history is incredible. Look, let me, let me just... Uh, Thank you so much for all the ways that you have expressed your favor uh, for the show. I, I appreciate each and every time that you share your enthusiasm. You tell a friend. You recommend to to your uh, your retailer to play this the, the the show in the store. I just I am so grateful and thankful for the reviews that you leave and the word of mouth and and thank you for staying with me as we build uh, this, this this community. I will continue to do my best to continue to peel back the layers on the comic book industry, uh, the, the the adaptations, the films, the movies, all of it, all the ways in which these characters and and these uh, the, these stories are are, are being are, are being told. So thank you once again for your support. Tell a friend, get them on board. Subscribe. I don't say that hardly enough. It sounds funny because I it's it's generally the way they parody people who have video cast and podcast. Subscribe. Um, I just I'm just appreciative so much that you that you listen to me on social media a great way that we can interact and and, and some of my funnest uh interactions happen on these platforms i am on twitter at robert liefeld is my name i didn't get at rob liefeld on twitter i am at robert liefeld r-o-b-e-r-t-l-i-e-f-e-l-d i have a pesky blue check that comes and 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 goes but uh last time i looked it was there it'll it'll tell you that i am uh certified that is really uh, me that you were talking to. I love talking comics, movies, sports with all of you, all the di- different interactions. Now that we're entering into football, it's very treacherous 
I have to uh, watch my mouth because that is a way that that, uh, fan bases get riled up more than anything. We love our sports. We are... uh, we admire and, and hold our sports uh, heroes maybe may a little more important than, than we should, and we get really upset. So I got to watch myself, given that we are uh, back in college and, and professional football uh, seasons. But Robert Liefeld, I love reading your messages, your DMs, your responses. I enjoy interacting with you in so many different ways on Twitter. Look for me at Robert Liefeld. I will look for you and, and hope that we interact on that platform. On Instagram, Instagram is obviously more visual. Uh, I, I show you what I'm drawing. Uh, you, you saw so much of my recent trip to CGC when I go on conventions, when I go on vacations, when I go out to dinner with the family or my wife, when I go to a comic store, wherever I'm seeing drawing, I try and uh, boot it up, whether it's my story or my um, or my main, as they say, are you posting it on your main? Okay, Instagram. I love it. I'm at Rob Liefeld. Follow me on that account. I will continue to share uh, exclusive artwork, sneak peeks. I'm really getting into this process stuff. I want to show you how I take like a sketch to a final page. I'm doing a lot of cool process stuff here in the next couple of weeks on my Instagram account. Look for me at Rob Liefeld, another blue check signifying it is really me that you are interacting with. Again, I uh, just like with Twitter, I read your responses, your DMs, your messaging, your comments. Thank you so much for all the interaction you guys do with me over at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Hey, I have a group on Facebook. It's great. So many of you are catching on. So many of the discussions that we have here go longer and and continue over on that group. It's Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is the name of the group over on Facebook. If you submit your membership or your, you know, put in to join myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A, we'll click you on through. I want you to know those those two names because that's how you know you made it to the right place and that you are in the correct group. We have art contest supervised, moderated, and run by Terry himself. We have great shares of art and comics and ideas and discussions. It's a really fun place. I I, I really enjoy hanging out with so many of you where we can obviously um, ask more questions and, and interact uh, uh, deeper than, than we do via this podcast. So Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond over on Facebook. Look for me. I will look for you. Look forward to seeing you. Whatnot is the live stream platform that I, you will catch me on. Uh, I'm Rob Liefeld. Again, follow me. You'll get notifications when I go live. Uh, we're, we're, we've been going down to to basically one show a week, but when the books come out as Deadpool Batter Blood is set to on September 20th, I, I will likely be on twice that week. It just kind of, it, it's just very uh, Im- improvisational in, in that regard, but we are trying to do one show a week on whatnot. You guys have been just the most fun community. It is really, so many of you say it's a live uh, in-person version of this podcast, the back and forth. There is a live stream. I am looking right at you, talking to you. You are talking back to me. It is a really fun interaction, and we try and give you our latest exclusives, our variants, artwork, Funko Pops. I do custom remarks. Again, I've referred to the Blood Splatter Chisel created on that show, the Drop Shadow Chisel. So, so much of these... these uh, Things that we show to you on the Whatnot Show are a result of kind of me getting out of an artistic jam. Maybe I dripped a piece of, uh, dripped a blob of ink and I have to work around that. And that created the blood splatter chisel. What am I even talking about? Check it out again. Coming into the fall, we have some more exclusives. Uh, I have a Captain America exclusive that you're not going to want to miss out on that's going to be debuting on Whatnot. So follow me on Whatnot. I enjoy so much our interactivity over there and we have a very vast uh, store with so many different options. It's 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 available 24-7. You can order from the store even when we're not live. Our fulfillment is constant. Thank you so much for checking me out. If you do on whatnot, I'm Rob Liefeld. I'm over there. 
and I look forward to seeing you. So at the end of each and every show, I want to check in with you and ask how your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health, and your spiritual health, all the four components uh, that, 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 that I, I believe it kind of kind of create who we are, what we are, how we're doing. I hope that you are doing well. I hope you got a break. I hope you had a great time with your loved ones. Uh, maybe you're in a romance. Maybe that date went great, that dinner. Uh, maybe you just came home from an excursion, a vacation, a hike, uh, so, so some great times as we have entered the fall. And to me, fall happens that first NFL Sunday. We are deep into the fall, even if the calendar still naggingly suggests we are in summer. I am hoping that this fall finds you at your very best. Get away from the grind, even if it's just a weekend night, uh, a, a, a time with your friends, going out, grabbing a bite to eat. Make it fun. Have some ribs. Have some chicken. Have some. Uh, have pizza. Man, if Pizza Hut was still dying in, I'd be there. I'd be getting my greasy mitts on some new comic book, and then immediately going and, and replacing it because because I don't want to keep that comic with my greasy mitts on it. But get out there, enjoy yourself, do it with a cheat meal. Uh, I, I'm on a strict one Reese's big cup a day. I'm mixing it up the other day, pretzels, one day, potato chips, uh, cocoa puffs. What are they going to put in next? We're eagerly awaiting. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very eager to see what new ingredients they have. And I, and I'm hoping that, that the fall finds all new, uh, all new Reese's big cup, uh, compositions it is it is my passion it is the best 90 seconds of each and every one of my days uh, it goes by way too fast <laughs> so uh i hope that you are doing well i hope that you are engaging with your friends and your family and having a cheat meal eating something naughty that's delicious not every meal that's that's not good that's not what we're saying here at the observation show but get off the treadmill the grind that we're all a part of and, and and stretch your arms out go out for a walk go out for a drive have some time get some me time. We are rooting for you here at the Rob Observation Show. I am fist bumping you, boom, through the mic. I am hoping so much that you are doing well. Hey, please come back. Please find me back here. I will be here ready to engage. We will most certainly, absolutely, inevitably talk again real soon. 